Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here this morning. Um, We're going to launch a new teaching series this morning uh, that will carry us through the month of May, and I've just entitled it, I Can Relate. It's going to be all about relationships. We'll take a look at important biblical principles that I think apply to every relationship in our lives, to friendships, to romantic relationships, to our neighbors, to the people we work with. We're going to look in this series at what the Bible can teach us about how we build relationships that are mutually satisfying and like life-giving, and what we do sometimes that actually destroys those relationships or inhibits them from growing. And as I've done all kinds of prep for this series, I found myself more than once thinking, I just wish relationships were simpler, right? I mean, for all the joy they can bring into our lives, relationships can also be challenging and confusing. You ever had one of those relationships that it just seemed you drifted apart from the person? You don't know why. I mean, the emails, the texts, and the Facebook posts, and the conversations, and the get-togethers just all kind of seem to go away, and you don't know why. There's other points where we maybe you've had a relationship that the person just went silent, just instantly, just shut off. I mean, it's like they went into the Federal Witness Protection Plan and vanished. For all the struggles that we have, though, there are also some relationships, sometimes when we have these rich, wonderful friendships that just seem to come out of nowhere. We meet somebody, we click, it's like we're instantly friends, and it feels like we've known each other all of our lives. People that are just gracious and fun-loving and, and thoughtful and kind, and, and being with them is so comfortable, it's like slipping on an old pair of house slippers, you know? It just, it just feels good to be with them. No matter what happens in relationships, the one truth that we just can't escape is that we got to figure this relationship thing out because we need each other. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden and God looked down and he saw that Adam was all alone. He said, well, that's not good. It's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for a woman to be alone. It's not good for any of us to be alone in this life. We need each other. At various points in our lives, every single one of us is going to need a cheering section. We're going to need a shoulder to lean on and go through a tough time with. We're going to need somebody who will pray for us. Somebody who will just give us a hug when we're having a bad day. We need somebody to speak words of encouragement in our ear. Don't give up. You got this. You can do it. I believe in you. In our hearts, we feel that, right? We know we need other people. We know it in our heads. We know it in our hearts. We need people in our lives who are going to stand with us through the good and bad in our lives, who are going to be there for the laughter and the sorrow, for the triumph and the tragedies that come. What we're searching for is what Proverbs describes and what God says we need, and that's a friend, a relationship, where the person is closer to us than a brother. All right, so I got a report from the ushers, the greeters, who said that when you got this this morning... More than half of you went, oh, Lance is here. (laughs) Thanks for that. I think this message is for you. Um, 
All right, so you're going to need that. If you don't have one, there's some at the back. There's some in the upstairs in the mezzanine, so be sure to grab one. We'll talk about that in a little bit. This morning, we're going to dive into the first thing that I think we need to pay attention to in relationships, not because it's like the most important thing, but it's something that always seems to get in the way of relationships in our lives. And we're going to look at it through one of the toughest, most direct teachings that Jesus ever gave in Scripture. It comes in Matthew 7, at the end of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus doesn't mince any words. He doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't soften the blow. He just comes right out with it. He says, don't judge or you too will be judged. In the same way you judge others, you're going to be judged. And with the same measure you use, it'll be measured out to you. Do not judge. Now, culturally, we've, without even knowing it, I think we've picked up this teaching of Jesus, and we've turned it into a very simple catchphrase that's out there in social media and even in you know, our everyday relationships. It's a three-word phrase that holds the power for us to elicit unanimous approval from whoever's with us, to whatever action we are about to take or whatever action they discover we just took. Some of you have used these three words this week when you looked at a friend and said, don't judge me. Anybody use that this week? Yep, some of you are confessing. I appreciate that. The rest of you are in denial. We've all got our own examples in the way this phrase is used. Don't judge me. Now, what I want you to know is you have biblical authority to say it, right? So turn to the person beside you, look them in the eye, give them the sternest look you can and say, don't judge me. Really? That's all the energy, all the conviction you have behind that phrase? That was pretty weak. I think what you were missing was the finger wag that has to go with it. So give it one more try. Wag the finger at him and say, with your best, strongest conviction, don't judge me. That was a little better. Yeah, it's a little better. All right. So it's a tough thing. Don't judge me has this unspoken subtext. Don't think less of me. Don't think I'm a bad person. Don't think you're better than me. And it truthfully is not that far off from what Jesus meant here when he's talking about don't be critical, don't condemn other people. It's a tough command. It's tough for us to suspend our judgment about other people, about their choices and their actions. In our heads, whether we'll admit it or not, every single one of us, I think, has a list of people, kinds of people, groups of people that we tend to get all judgy about. People who embrace certain behaviors, people who remind us of someone who hurt us in the past, people who when we look at them, we watch them, we're around them, we question their morality, we question their ethnicity, we question their political views. We judge people whose music is too loud, like if I can feel it inside my car at the stoplight, I get a little judgy, don't you? We judge people based on tattoos and piercings and what they are and where they are. We judge. Ever have, you have that picture in your mind? You ever have somebody judge you? I have one very clear memory of a time that I got judged. So it was last summer, Connie and I were at Graham's down in Geneva, and we we're having some gelato, enjoying a beautiful summer day, sitting out in the sunshine. Right next to us uh, was a table, three tables actually, of what I could only assume was a bridal party, you know? And 
they weren't being super obnoxious. They were being loud. They were having fun. They were doing some kind of a dress fitting or something, and they just stopped for gelato. And they didn't get really obnoxious and rude until I, well, I got up and I walked past them. I was headed inside to get some water for Connie and for me. And what I think was the bride, I assumed it was the bride because she had this sash across her that said bride. (laughs) I don't have discernment, but I picked up on that subtle cue. Uh, Stopped me and said, would you take a group picture for us? So she had her phone on and the camera ready and she handed it to me and then she proceeded to give instructions to her bridesmaids about how she wanted the picture. By the time we got ready for the picture, her phone had locked. So I looked at her, and she had an iPhone 6S Plus, so nice big screen, but it was locked. I couldn't get into it. And so I looked at her, and I said, so, um, and before I could get the words out, in this very sweet, um, soft, patronizing voice, she looked at me and said, oh, it's an iPhone 6. They have cameras in phones now. And all you have to do is press that little red circle and it'll take a picture. Didn't bother me at all. Can you tell? (laughs) So I stopped her. She was going to go on. And I said, are you age shaming me? Because what it really feels like is you looked at me, you saw my gray hair and went, well, he can't know anything about a smartphone, right? Well, our bridesmaids had a field day with that. They were all over her at that point. I didn't have to say much. I just watched them like blood in the water. They just started attacking her on this, laughing and having fun. And I, I calmed her down. I said, actually, it just locked while you were talking. So she took the phone and she started to unlock it. And I said, you know, if I could make a suggestion, if you really want better pictures in a scenario like this, you might want to upgrade to what I've got, which is the iPhone 10. I like that story. (laughs) Connie hates it when I tell that story. She's not in the room right now. That's why I told that story. In the final analysis, she did judge me, right? She saw my gray hair and went, idiot. Technically incompetent. But in truth, I judged her too. It's tough to live this out. It's tough. (laughs) Um, so in the best of circumstances, we have struggles to follow Jesus command, don't judge. And he knows that. So I think that's why he goes on and he gives us a great illustration, very clear of how we struggle with this. And in so doing, he asks a really tough question. And if you hear it correctly, it's like a punch to the gut. Jesus asks this question. He says, so why? Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? Why, Jesus says, why do you and I focus on the speck? Why do we get so critical? Why do we get so amped up and ramped up? Why do we invest so much emotional energy in that tiny little speck, that One tiny thing that they did wrong. And pay no attention to our issues, our problems, our habits, our attitudes, our offenses in the relationship. Why do we focus on their speck and ignore our plank? It's a good question. 
It's a tough question. And I've heard some really creative answers to it over the years. People look you right in the face and go, well, here's why that's not a speck. I mean, really, what's in their eye? There's no way you can call that a speck. It's not. I mean, don't you know she is a Democrat? He, he, he's a white Republican politician. That's not a speck of sawdust. That's a lumberyard full of dust. So don't get upset with me. Don't you know what she said? Don't you know what she did? Did you read that email? Did you see that post? Did you see the picture? And for some of us, it gets really, really personal. Your dad walked out when you were eight years old. Never heard from him again. No birthday presents, no cards, no phone calls, no Christmas, nothing. Now you're in your 30s, 40s, 50s, your dad shows up again. This time, he's sick. That's why he's shown up again. He wants you to stand by him, help take care of him, love him. That's not a speck. I don't know what that is. I don't know what you'd call that, but that's not a speck. Some of us will look at the other person's eye and go, yeah, that's no speck of sawdust. Some of us look at ourselves and go, this isn't a plank. I don't have a plank in my eye. That's the answer we'd give. I know what's really going on in this world. I read the news. I search the internet. You don't understand. I see things as they really are. I'm the one who's right. I know how things really work. I know people. I know him. I know her. It's pretty tough to admit that we've got it, even though it's this massive two-by-four sticking out of our eye. I don't have a plank in my eye. Do you? Jesus knows human nature, human behavior. I tend to judge in my favor. So do you. I take my own side. And that makes me then an expert on your sins and your flaws. And there's a bonus in there. I know how to fix you. But unfortunately, I'm blind to my own faults, and I have no idea how to fix them. So Jesus isn't done, unfortunately. He gets even more pointed with this teaching. He knows human nature. He knows we're going to push back. And so he further illustrates his point. He asks another question. He said, how can you say to your brother, let me take this speck out of your eye? Let me help you see clearly how you're acting. Let me tell you what you ought to do. Let me tell you what you should have done. So you wouldn't end up where you are now. Because I can see the world clearly. I can see your speck clearly. Jesus says, how can you say, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time you've been critical, you've had a bad attitude, you've contributed, and there's this plank sticking out of yours. Now, if you've ever been the recipient of someone with a plank-sized issue trying to deal with your sawdust-sized issue, you're going to love what Jesus says next. It's not the often the thing that we would think of Jesus saying. 
It's a little harsher than we might picture Jesus. But he gives his direct, painfully honest, two-word assessment of our behavior when we've got the plank and we're working on somebody's speck. He looks at the crowd and he says, you hypocrite. And I have to believe if there's anyone there who'd had a speck and was dealing with somebody with a plank, they just started to cheer. I mean, at last, Jesus is finally calling it like it is. He's giving them what they're due. He's putting them in their place. Look, it's tough. When we're in relationships and there's this give and take, it's really tough sometimes for us to know if what's in our eye is a speck or a plank. And if we do discover there's a plank there in the relationship, it's hard to know if it's ours or theirs. The only thing we can know for certain is that 100% of our time Our judgment is always, always impacted by, and sometimes clouded by, dozens of factors. Some are within and some are beyond our control. And they will skew our perception of people and circumstances. Things like our upbringing. You know... What was your family life like? What were your parents like? Your step-parents like? What's the home life that you grew up with? And we tend to normalize that. We think every family is that way. And so it skews our judgment. The environments that we've been in in our life, the environment we're forced into right now or the one we get out of and want to get out of and we just can't, those environments at work and at school and at home and in the neighborhood cloud our judgment. What we've experienced in life, whether it was done to us or done by us, clouds our judgment. Our education and our health challenges, how those sometimes set us up and sometimes set us back. They make it tougher for us to excel in our work and develop relationships. Our judgment is impacted by things like our success, our failure in life, our insecurities, the opportunities we've had and we took, the opportunities we missed, the opportunities we took and we shouldn't have and how all of those have led us to where we are today as a person. Got any of those tendencies? My guess is you probably do. So do I. Here's the thing. God knew all of this about you, every detail of who you are and what you are. He understands what you've done with all of this stuff and what you didn't do with it. And with full knowledge and with full understanding of who we are, our Heavenly Father decided to extend grace to us. Do you ever just sit back and wonder why? Why in the world would God extend grace to me? Why did he give us what we don't deserve, knowing full well what we do deserve? Why does God overlook our sin? Why does he choose to forgive our sin? Why does he choose to treat us as though we've never sinned? It's not that God's blind. It's not that he made a mistake. It's not that when he looked at the story of your life from beginning to end, there were a few pages missing, so he doesn't have an accurate assessment of who you are. He knows us, as though our story is already completed, 
And in spite of everything he knows about you and me, he offers us grace. One person I think who maybe understood grace better than anyone was the Apostle Paul. Paul was raised a good Jewish religious boy. He grew up and became a part of the religious aristocracy. He went through the best training in the best schools and was on the fast track to a leadership position. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He says that of himself. What didn't hit me until this week is one very amazing thought that as Paul was growing up, he was a contemporary of Jesus. We have no evidence that Paul was there when Jesus was crucified, but he was a part of the religious aristocracy that led to Jesus' crucifixion. So he knew wherever he was, I'm confident Paul knew what was going on in Jerusalem, if not before, certainly after the fact. He knew that Jesus had been taken captive. He knew that Jesus was being crucified. And even if none of that happened, he was personally responsible, we're told in the book of Acts, for the deaths and the imprisonment of scores of Christ's followers. In Romans 5.8, Paul reflects on God's grace to him. And he says this, But God, demonstrating his own love for us in this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's just my conjecture, but it's there's this real strong possibility that Paul connected the dots and he knew that while he was somewhere outside of Jerusalem actively persecuting Jesus' followers, Jesus was dying on the cross in that moment. For him. I think Paul understood grace in a way that you and I may never fully get. The depth of what he had been forgiven. I think if he could rewrite this verse for us today, for our life struggles, he might write it something like this. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this, knowing ahead of the time the sins that we would commit and confess and repeat, and confess again, Christ died for us anyway. Because that's what grace does. Understanding all our story before the first page was written, God gave us what we deserved least, but what we needed most. And all he asks in return is that we do the same for others as he has done for us. Jesus says you want stronger, healthier relationships? Do that. Offer grace, not judgment. And by the way, the opposite of of judgment is not acceptance. Acceptance just puts us on an even heel. God says, I want you to go beyond that. Don't just give them acceptance. Give them grace. And here's how you do that. Before you ever, ever try to extend grace to someone. First, take the plank out of your own eye. And then you'll see clearly 
You'll be able to extend grace to people who don't deserve it, but desperately need it. Take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. It's a pretty simple message to understand, right? It's the same truth multiple different ways in this passage. It's just tough to apply to our everyday lives consistently. It forces us to ask the tough question of ourselves that Jesus asked. And so to help us with that, grab this craft stick that you were handed on the way in. The truth is I wanted to give every one of you a six foot two by four to carry around for this week. I think that would have been much more effective, but highly impractical and costly. So we're going to pretend this is a plank. And it's safe to assume that if you got this in your eye on the way out, please don't try this at home it would hurt, right? It would obscure your vision. It would cloud your judgment. But I want you to grab this mini plank. I want you to hold it in your hand for a few minutes here. And I want to ask you a couple of questions to help us apply this to our lives. First, got any planks? Do you? I don't know if you do. You, you may not. But Jesus seems to indicate there's a strong possibility that you do, that I do that we all have planks in our eye. Jesus says, if you want to get this relationship thing right, you have to figure out the planks that you're carrying around and you're holding on to. And if you'll do that hard work, if I'll do that work, then only then can we see ourselves clearly. Only then will we have the clarity that will enable us to be more authentic, more kind and gentle and grace-filled and forgiving in our relationships. You probably know some people that are like that. They're more grace-forward people. They make really good friends. They make really good spouses, co-workers, neighbors. Judging others, ignoring the plank in our own eye only puts more barriers between us. When we clearly begin to see how much grace we've been extended by God in our lives, how many planks there are that are piled up around our feet that God's already removed, how many are still sticking out of both of our eyes that he's yet to remove, then we start moving towards people not with judgment, but with grace, the same grace that God has offered to us. Now, why is that the first step? Why is it so important? Here's why. If you don't remember anything else this morning, take this with you. The more I am aware of what God has yet to do in me, the more time I spend looking into the mirror of God's word, the more time I spend in community with people who love me enough to tell me the truth about me, where I need to grow and where I'm getting it right. The more time I spend removing my own planks, the less I'm aware of the work that God needs to do in you and has yet to do. And to be honest, I won't it's not just that I'll be less aware. I'll be less bothered. I'll be less frustrated, less put off, less offended. Because to, compared to what's in my eye, what you've got is just a speck. 
Here's the second question. Are you willing to remove that plank? Have you gotten comfortable with it? It's just part of who you are. You're so comfortable with it that you don't see a plank, you just see a little speck in your eye. You're convinced. It's the other person that has the plank. Are you ready to be done with it? What I want to ask you to do is carry that plank with you this week. Stick it in your pocket. Put it in your purse. Tape it to your bathroom mirror. And be aware. Begin praying that God will show you a plank in your life that you need to get rid of. And when you realize this is a plank that you need to get rid of, I want you to write a word or a name or a people group or whatever it is that you're judging that is that plank. And if you're worried about somebody around you or in your house seeing that plank and seeing what you're being all judgy about, and if it's their name you're going to write, then just put a symbol or draw something on it that will remind you. It's just between you and God. And ask Jesus to help you remove that plank. And when it's gone, throw that plank in the garbage and start looking for another one because they're there. And I promise if you'll do this, you'll begin to see those planks fall. You'll become a more grace-filled person and it will change every relationship in your life, even your relationship with God. You're still going to encounter broken people all around you, but you're going to be less likely to judge, condemn, think less of them, withdraw. And you'll find great joy in extending huge amounts of God's grace to every relationship in your life.